This podcast is brought to you by DC Music Publishing. Find out more at dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Behind the Music Business podcast. My name is Danny Champion. I am a music business educator, a music business consultant. I also run a small music publishing company called DC Music Publishing based in Bristol and in Manchester. This is my little music business focused podcast where I chat to a whole range of individuals in the music business about their role, about how they got to where they are in the industry, about their motivations, about their journeys, about what they have learnt along the way and everything in between. The idea behind this podcast is to inform those who are interested in a career in music and in the music industry about what sort of roles there are, what kind of people there are in the industry, but also for those who are already in the industry who are looking for new opportunities or to try and further their careers a little bit. This week's conversation uh, was one of my favorites that I've ever done is with uh, booking agent and founder and CEO of Echelon Agency, Liam Spencer. I reached out to Liam as he is the agent for one of the artists that I am currently working with by DC Music Publishing, The Hyena Kill. Uh, he also works with another com- another band that I work with, Blanket. So I reached out to him to introduce myself, to say, hey, I'm here, I'm kind of part of the team, but also I do this podcast and I'd love to have a conversation with you. And he dutifully agreed, which was great. And it was an awesome chat about everything live music, really, about festivals, about starting a live music company six months before the pandemic, which kind of decimated the live industry, about his relationship with his acts, about being a developmental agency, about being involved and invested in artist development, about the competition that there is in the live music and booking agency worlds, Um, We talked about his roster and specific artists on his roster and kind of just his viewpoint on the current music business and the positivity that he has about music moving forward. Uh, It was an awesome conversation that I'm really, really happy that we managed to manage to have. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Liam Spencer of the Echelon Talent Agency. in festival season so you've pro- you've got probably uh, a huge number of acts all over the place doing things in the UK and and abroad are you are you able to enjoy so, and go to some of those shows at the moment or are you just head down and thinking right I need to start booking in tours for October and into 2023 
I I think any any agent who wouldn't allow themselves to enjoy at least some of the fruits of their labour after the past two and a bit years we've had would Very be true. um maybe better suited at another job (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh, no no it's um it's it's all going very well the minute it's it's a very hectic period i mean i i i'm sure we'll touch on this at some point i think a lot of agents and a lot of people in the business in general um never really stopped working through the pandemic but there was there was a that level of kind of urgency kind of went away very quickly from march 2020 up until around about now and uh, once the urgency came back, you know, and things started happening and all of a sudden you were out three, four times yeah. a night every week, you know, that that for me was, it was like a crash down to earth. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, we were enjoying it at the minute. We've got a lot of bands out on festivals right now. We just had um, Download Festival, mm-hmm. which just passed. That's... Um, a festival I've been going to for I think eleven years now. I don't think I've missed it for eleven years before I was even an agent. So in terms of enjoying them, I think that's the one that I allow myself to really just yeah. kind of, you know, um, not be purely kind of work mode, but have a few beers, hang out with some friends that you don't often see in the industry and outside of the industry. And uh, yeah, we had Death Blooms absolutely cause a riot in the Dogtooth tent nice. and uh, as everything unfolds also played the Avalanche stage which is the bigger the bigger tent there so yeah. um, I would just say the minute Death Blooms finished their set on that stage I made a very quick beeline for the bar and that's when the fun started <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've been to one download since it was forced to not be in the racetrack okay anymore so i was very much i went my festival going time was maybe i think 1998 through to about 2007 2008 mm-hmm. going to readings and uh and downloads yeah and i think the the there was one that i went to when they were for basically the whole car park that was became the site and then the car park had to right. move move a bit further away so I'm not. I'm. I don't know what download is like anymore because it it, it feels um, much more squidged than it was when it was within. The, and you had this massive racetrack that you could kind of, you know, mince your way around. It was really interesting this year. They actually they, they completely changed the the setup. You know the map. So mm-hmm. the campers ended up, I think, closer to the racetrack. And I right. think one of the, one of the campsites was in the middle of the racetrack as well. If I remember okay. correctly. And for the first time in my, as to the first time since I've been there, the village uh, in the campsite was actually on concrete, so it okay. wasn't on turf anymore. Which, which is sod's law, because I think it was the first time I've been to download where it hasn't been an absolute well, mudfest. Well, so, uh, <laughs> as well, I think that was the reason why they had to move it that first year because it had been such a mud fest that they kind of went right we can't get the license for this part of the ground we can only you know they're not giving us access yeah, to, yeah. to the racetrack bit because it just you just decimate that whole part of the of the site i mean i have so much respect for the people who who have to think on their feet with festivals that are involving tens of thousands sometimes a hundred thousand plus people and just 
the level of anxiety that must come over you when you're told you can't open the doors and a band starts in half an hour must just be <laughs> of well, a level I don't ever want to experience. Well, from, from your perspective, what were those conversations like when everything was being cancelled and there was no, you know, I, I know, for instance, I know James who books 2000 Trees and Art Tangent <laughs> fairly well. So I've spoken to him at length about what it felt like to be someone running a festival. But from your side of things, someone who's talking to people who are booking the bands as someone who is trying to book bands when you know that all of these festivals are being cancelled. What was what were the conversations like at that time? Were you, were you all just kind of trying to trying to hunker down and, and help each other out or was it just like... I, I think it's the first time in, in my experience working in the industry where it's it really felt like everyone is I hate using the term in the same boat because we very much were not all in the same boat. But we were certainly kind of riding the storm together. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a, it's the a first time I think everyone took their foot off the pedal and maybe put an arm around whoever they were talking to and said, you know, there was, there was a level of, um, I think, just respect and appreciation for everyone just trying to do their bit to keep things going. In terms of the conversations we're having with with the with festivals and the artists, really was you know that's just what what can you do, right? We didn't know when things were going to open up again. You know, right. some festivals moved a few months down the line; others just switched straight to the following year. And you had to have a level of, I think, just patience with everyone because everyone was figuring it out as they went along. There's no blueprint for how how you do your job through a pandemic. I think yeah. that that's the same for every industry, but when you work in an industry that's sole reliance is on mass gatherings, and that was the one thing <laughs> that was taken away was from us. 100% not on, the, not on the cards, yeah. But the conversations with, with, uh, with our artists was, you know, after, once it became clear that things were going to be you know, problematic for a long time. Mm-hmm. The conversations kind of move to well, a we try and move everything to the following year, or f- as far as our company was concerned, we 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 were really in the trenches with our. Well, you'd only you'd only started like a year previous. Yes, yeah, so we we started the company in October twenty nineteen, so we had okay, six so months. Six of, months. Uh, six months of a uh, solid kick ass business before it all completely crap the bed <laughs> which yeah. was um, a very interesting time I mean if I look back on it now you know I don't think I'll ever forget the moment where you know I, I was in a bar in Bermondsey and I think within the space of two hours three tours cancelled just one after the other after mm-hmm. the other and I think if you were probably looking at it now, we probably would have cancelled those particular tours long before we did. But I think that was the moment where we realised like this is really, you know, th- this is very, very serious. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got some more horror stories in the pandemic, which I'm sure we can get into. But um, I think it's a, it was a good, it was a bad moment, obviously, because the business just goes from a hundred to zero very quickly, almost overnight. But for us, for a new company we never really had a, 
a time to pause, you know, and figure out what kind of business we really wanted to run, you know, what kind of roster we want to have, what what were the priorities, you know, in terms of what we're offering our clients. And having that, having that time just to kind of not as I say, we didn't stop working, but the immediacy of everything stopped. You know, yeah. nothing was happening, nothing needed to be done straight away. So having that time to be able just to kind of pause, reflect on, you know, the previous companies that me and my business partner, Stephen, had worked for, and then kind of build a vision for the company that we wanted to run coming out the other end of the pandemic, I think is why we're in such a strong position now, you know, coming out the other end of it. We've got lots of bands who, some bands who have never played festivals doing, you know, some great business in mm-hmm. the UK, mainland Europe at the minute on festivals. And I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't had the opportunity just to kind of pause and um, not just kind of go business as usual and learn, you know, bad habits from previous companies that we'd worked with, but instead kind of build our own kind of new habits, which we're, um, I think our clients are all starting to reap the benefits of now. I was I was going to ask, you know, what r- rather than kind of talking about the the negative aspects of, you know, how did you cope and all that sort of stuff. What what are you doing now that's different? What have you built into to to the uh, you know to the service that you provide? What you know is there is there a bit of future proofing? Future proofing is a tough one because I mean, how do you possibly future proof for a pandemic? You know, <laughs> I think the one thing that we did learn was. A lot of our during the pandemic, we really kind of, I think we got closer to our clients. You know, in the job previously before you know mm-hmm. starting Echelon Talent, I think we always kind of kept ourselves. We didn't really make huge efforts to really kind of immerse ourselves in every part of our clients' business, and not just our business, but like just their lives in general. You know, like if 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 one of my clients is having a bad time, you know. I know about it now, and I like to think I know about it. <laughs> like it's, a, it it's a personal relationship. Yeah, you're yeah, not, you're not just providing this little service for. It's it. not just a service, you know. Like we, we, we kind of call it a family for a reason, you know. Mm-hmm. I think most of our clients who have come on now since the pandemic kind of feel like they're they don't just have an agent, but they have like an ally, you know, someone who's going to fight their corner and you know just kind of be there for them should there be another lockdown somewhere in the future god forbid mm-hmm. but that was one of the main ones was um, just kind of get get a bit closer to everyone we work with and that's it that's the same for you know the promoters we work with for other agents in the business you know the company i used to work for was um us based right and uh, and i worked in kind of a small uk office here and we always felt like well, I certainly felt like there was maybe a disconnect between us and a lot of the clients I worked for, with most of them being overseas, and hadn't really, hadn't really been taught how to uh, how to manage a client properly. To be perfectly honest, so uh, that's the main the okay. main um, the main thing I think that we've looked at now. But also other things like a lot of man- bands we work with, we were picking up at a very early stage. who don't have management, don't have labels. You know, we're doing a lot of work at the minute connecting the dots for bands kind of building their teams around you know around us essentially okay but when they don't have those teams you know we're very happy to kind of dip in and help them manage manage a release or just manage the project in general you know so just really trying to be as hands-on as humanly possible and be overly helpful really there's never a 
there's never a request that comes in where we say, you know, that's not our job. You know, we would always try to find uh, innovative ways of helping our clients, you know, regardless of what the what the issues are. It's something that I'm trying to do as well from my end. It's I'm, I'm fully aware, my background is in music publishing and synchronization. Um, okay. And after a couple of years as a music supervisor and then a few more years, and still in, in the kind of education sector, I thought I'm not done with this yet. I need, to, I need to get back into being a rights owner and working with the talent and working in that space, in a space where a lot of people go, uh, what what what's that? I don't know how that works. Yeah. So I go, yeah, yeah. cool, yeah, I can do that for you. And it just so happens that also I'm into my weird and wonderful alternative music as well. And it, there's <laughs> there's a lot of that, and it, there's a lot of great versions of that coming out of the UK at the moment. So there's kind of there, there's a lot of opportunity there for for me to kind of do the same as as what you guys are doing, but just coming at it from the the publishing songwriter angle mm. as opposed to the live side of things. So it's 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 great for me as a new business owner to kind of be talking to people who have the same sensibilities and seeing that there's actually lots and lots of these smaller independent businesses who have all got kind of the same idea. Yeah, well, I, I think, um, you know, COVID really did <clears throat> leave its mark on how the whole agency business looked. You know, there was a lot of agents who who left big, big companies. You know, John Ollier started One Phoenix Live. You know, um, we had Matt Hanner who left ATC to start Runway. You know, um, Mother Artists, I believe, was uh, Natasha, I think, Paradigm. You know, so we have all these agents who have kind of splintered from the major agencies and have decided, you know, now's the time it's an independence game, you know? And I think um, for me, this I think this is where we kind of try to build the business was, you know, a lot of artists wanna, wanna go and work with, you know, the big, big agents. But sometimes artists need that, just a, that extra layer of support, you know, that, that, you know, know that your agent is gonna fight for absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. If you're going with a big, big agency that yes has x amount of resources but really when it comes to getting you know sales targets on the board you know i think a lot of a lot of smaller artists can get lost on these bigger agencies you know and i think um for us the the crux of our business is and i think always will be you know developing artists Mm -hmm. from from you know from a bedroom band up to whatever level they can get to you know like it should always be about developing and I think that's, um, I don't, uh, I would like to uh, speak for anyone who's working in any major agency, but I, I can I can appreciate why if you're working on huge level, levels of tours that that can just kind of get lost. I don't believe that, you know, just putting a band on two or three tours as a support act really ticks the box of uh, building a client the right way. You know, okay. for me, that's when, that's when the work starts. You know, if you're getting a band who normally play to 150 people on a bill 
on a tour where they're playing in front of 1500 people that's that's the precursor for when the, the real work starts you know, mm-hmm. what do you do afterwards and I think um, that's that's where we kind of see the business of being an independent agent being really important you know? is having the attention to detail with artists who are who really need that extra level of detail to help kind of grow their business. And I think the music industry at the moment is full of such a giant range of artists now because mm. because of being able to do it for yourselves a hell of a lot easier than you could do back in my day when I was in bands <laughs> and things like that. Is that you know there was there was a big barrier in front of me as a as a guitar player in a new metal band in the nineties. That meant you know we had to find a late we had to find those big companies to get to the next stage whereas you don't now yeah but then yeah, that yeah. means that there is there is a need for the big companies the big global companies but there is also a need for businesses like yourselves that actually go no we want to work with with the smaller artists we want to help we've got the means to help those smaller acts so you kind of you know mm. where you fit into the into the ecosystem I guess and you well, are more than happy to be there in the ecosystem rather than trying well to I think else. Covid definitely kind of um, it kind of shattered the illusion I think I think for, 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 for me as well as for like many artists out there you know, that I'm guilty sometimes of you know you know it, Everyone loses a client every now and again, but when you lose a client to, you know, a company that has, you know, 400 staff, you know, 300 of which are support staff, you know, 100 of which are agents, maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah. Do you, there is a part of you that kind of thinks, so how do you compete with that? But I think that illusion has been kind of shattered for me since, since the pandemic kind of roared in. But um, I think just that attention to detail is hugely important for artists who, when there's so many of them, you know, they're like, they're yeah. that just, the, I think the very start is so important for an artist. If you just get thrown on three or four tours and, you know, there's no plan following that, it's very difficult to recover, you know, it's, you know, once you've kind of done a couple of great tours, and you've not looked after your headline business, for example. You know, you're never going to be able to get that time back. Once mm-hmm. you're on to album two, you know, the famous phrase, you never, you only release one first album. You know? And I think the same goes for touring. The The audience, I think, is so fickle nowadays. It's, it has access to music everywhere you look, you know, mm-hmm. on your phone and your tablet and your computer. It's very, very fast paced. You know, once an album's released, you know, if you're not doing plenty of touring business and everything else away from just putting the album out there, that album's gonna gonna die a death very quickly, you know. So I think, you know, the, there needs to be attention to detail there, you know, to give it longevity. And I think live's got an important part to play there. The the other the other side of that is I always think that because of the way that we engage with music digitally now is that this kind of idea of an album, if an album or a release dies at one point, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be rediscovered. Well, that's, I mean, that's a, that's that's a big very... kind of bonus. You know, you don't, you don't suddenly have to go, oh, wait, wait a minute, I've got to do another run of physical CDs and try and put them back into shops. It's yeah. kind of the music is there to be discovered as and when it's discovered. So you can kind of ride well, I mean, peaks and troughs a little bit. 
I think Kate Bush is a perfect example of that right now, right? You know, thir- I think 32 years since she released Run Up That Hill, and now I can't even imagine the amount of uh, the amount of money that's been made from that one song right now. Yeah. And that came relatively from nothing, right? I mean, obviously, uh, so the, I think the story goes, it was on an episode of Stranger Things, yeah. which I haven't quite watched yet, so I don't know what impact it had, but the fact there's a whole new generation of kids that are listening to that song right now, I think is, I think it, it points to, you know, moving away from lives for a second, it points to the fact that catalog is such a massive, massive business now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think yeah. that's why you've got, you know, businesses snapping up catalogs right, left and centre right now, because yeah. the streaming has just completely changed the face of the recording business yeah it's changed the way that you've got to think about things i've spoken to a bunch of managers and stuff about you know not doing in perpetuity record deals anymore because it's not about (laughs) run you know it's not about a physical thing that needs to be produced once it's on online it's online forever so why do you get that for opportunity forever sort of thing so so yeah it's it's definitely takes it takes much more much more thought from both sides i think you got, yeah. you know you don't yeah. just you don't just sign the first deal that's puts it put in front of you and you've kind of got to you've got to put good deals in front of artists now because they are that little bit more savvy well you know it's uh, yeah it's 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 going to exist forever right you you should be trying to have as much control over that as possible is my opinion right now you know and, and i i guess i come from you know the way the agency business works is, you know, we're not really locked into any huge length of time with any clients. You know, it's, uh, it tends, we have our terms of business that we send on to clients, but we, we don't contract them to X amount of months or years. But that's, that's fairly standard so, in, in, yeah, in yeah. booking agents, isn't it? So I think, um, you know, for me, when you see some of the, the label deals that get rolled out there, it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> did, did I pick the wrong business? <laughs> you mentioned a bunch of other agents leaving the larger companies and setting up their own things. That From, from mm. your side of things, on top of just the sheer number of bands and artists looking for tours and live opportunities, what's competition like for you? Are you all kind of buzzing around the same artists all the time and kind of fighting? And you, are you kind of fi- finding that there's much more competition because there's more independent agents working on behalf of more bands? Or, <laughs> and also, obviously, because of the pandemic kind of bunching everything up after a two and a, or a year and a half, two years of, of not that many tours. So what, yeah, what is competition like? I think it, it, it certainly felt like the Great Escape this year for me was the, the, the where I really felt like competition is well and truly bad amongst uh, different agencies competing for the same artist. Right. I think that, your your bigger agencies, in my experience, kind of they had a bit of a slumber, you know, during the pandemic. Like everyone kind of knuckled down and just like focused on the the artists that they were currently working with. Yeah. But I think now that things are waking back up again, the competition is well and truly there. And because there's more agencies, 
you know, and that the whole kind of the landscape completely fractured since the pandemic, then competition is very high. I mean, I, I this is why as a business we we we're not scared to kind of jump in as early as possible with an artist because you right. know if you're not getting in there early, then you can almost guarantee if you know that they're playlisting very well, you know they're they're selling a decent amount of tickets or they've got a great tour or they've got a great festival slot, you can guarantee you're not you're not the only one in the conversation <laughs> you know so yeah. i think for me you know if i if i listen to I, i'm constantly listening to new music if i if i listen to a new artist and i and i, I think and the initial reaction is wow you know this is really fucking great i'm not wasting time in starting the conversation because i, I you just know i mean i, I trust my gut enough at this point, you know, if if I get that feeling of this is really really great, I tend to be right. <laughs> and is that I because of? Is, be right. And is that is that because of your like your personal choice in music, your personal loves when it comes to music? Is that what drives you, or are you kind of being partly driven by just what you like, but also what you know the market is also after at the same time? I think it's a mixture of the two. I mean, I, I I do listen to, I mean, my roster definitely is like an imprint of my taste in music. You know, I, I don't just listen to one type of music. I have, you know, I work with um, Death Blooms and As It Unfolds in like, the metal world, but then I have Nia Wynn at Glastonbury this weekend, who's a really fucking good neo-soul kind of... Mm-hmm poppy kind of artist so i i really and i love both equally i think it's important to have as diverse a roster as possible right but i also think you know you've got to you've got to know what way the industry's moving in there are some artists there that i do listen to and i just don't understand it but you see kids like really going off at it and i think where that's coming from if i'm being very honest myself is that i'm just not quite a convert to tiktok yet (laughs) (laughs) i 100 percent agree with you there (laughs) so and and i think um you know tiktok's really it's already really changed the, the the face of the business but i think it's it it's it's not done yet and i think um some things I don't understand, but I can at least appreciate that it's yeah. it's got a vibe, you know, and yeah, it's going to yeah. go down. I think a large part of this is because the, I think kids these days are not really, you know, when, when I was 15, I just, you know, first ever album I bought with my own money was Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory. You know, from that, I listened to metal almost almost exclusively for a certain period of time before I kind of fell back into indie. And uh, and from, from when I started, you know, uh, so my first role in the industry was writing for a web scene, for my own web scene. Yeah. And that kind of enabled me to have a really wide uh, taste in music and access to a wide taste in music before streaming platforms came about. Mm-hmm. But I think nowadays, because kids have access to everything at any time, anywhere there's not really such i don't think there's such thing as a 15 year old you know metal kid out there anymore i've had this not also listening to yeah you know fucking 
Doja Cat. I've had, I've had this conversation a number of times is that, you know, when I bought albums and I bought too many out, I was one of those kids that spent all my money on CDs and I've got all of these CDs that I don't ever use now because I don't own a CD <laughs> yeah, player yeah. for a start. As do I, yeah. All under my bed at the minute because yeah. I don't have a shelf for them. Yeah. But you had, you know, you, you, but you had to pick a lane. You know, you had a certain amount of money. That money needed to be spent on something that you knew you were going to like. You weren't going to go and buy an album just for the sake of it because to just see what, what the, all the fuss is about, which is what mm. I can do now with, with Spotify. So you can, yeah. you you know, you don't have the kind of the tribalism as much or rather there's kind of the lines are blurring or there's kind of weird collaborations happening between those mm. sorts of tribes. Well, I think that as a, I think it, this is only going to get more exciting as the next years come on, especially kind of at the end of the pandemic. Like, I think because genre is no longer, no longer dictates you know, what social groups you're in. It no longer dictates, you know, what festivals you go to to a no. large extent. I think it's, for me, clients, and the, and the the real, the golden goose for a potential client that I'm looking for is an artist that, that can see that, the kind of transcendence between genres and actively utilises that. You know, I, I think an artist who can, be on a metal bill, but also, you know, not look completely wrong on you know a pop show mm -hmm. is such a. I mean, like it's it's you're seeing it happening, like little pockets of it happening already. You know, Ed Sheeran doing the Brit Awards with Bring Me the Horizon. The older metalheads, you know, some people who are my age, but maybe a bit more guarded about the the metal genre that I am, were disgusted by that. You know, they're like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. why is this happening? Like, <laughs> and, and failing to see the exciting part of it, like that opens up, you know, people who have never heard of Bring Me The Horizon, who yeah. may go back and listen to the back catalogue because it's at their fingertips. And then at some point might be at a show that you never thought they would be at. You know, I think kids these days are open to anything, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, the similar thing, you know, with Bring The Horizon again on, the latest Sigrid album. Sigrid, which, I was going to say, bring me the horizon. By the way, kind of... it's the album of the fucking year. It's, yeah, I, right I, was, I, I, I agree. <laughs> well, I, it's one, it's up there, especially. I, I gave it a proper, proper listen over the over the weekend. and Because I, 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 I caught a little bit of her set on the Isle of Wight uh, transmission when it was on telly over the yeah, weekend. Yeah. And so I listened to the album and went, yeah, this is actually really good. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, I, I think, um, and this has been an issue, I think, with especially if we're talking about the, uh, the the rock and the metal genre. I think they've always had a bit of a problem, really, just being open to collaborating with anyone and everyone, right? You know, art, artists in those worlds seem to be very proud of their music, and having someone else coming and write with them just seems to be a a real sore point. As for you know, in the pop world and hip-hop world especially they've been doing it since time memorial you know? yeah I, I think yeah i mean from a you know from a, coming at it from a, a perspective that i talk to songwriters constantly about collaboration and things like that i think yeah it's the, the tradition was you're in a band nobody gets involved in the songwriting it's the band that does it and it might mm -hmm. even be only a couple of people within the band 
but there is a there has been a trend over the last few years where there is a lot more bands kind of opening the doors to other people to producers pitching in a little bit on steering some of the songwriting especially when there's so much riding on getting the hook right you know when you are a band like bring me the horizon or a band like don broco those sorts of bands that are kind of you know one foot in rock and metal and one foot somewhere else i think those as you pointed out those are definitely the bands that are really really much more open to we want that put in something else, so let's bring those people in to this project. And I think project. the bands that see that in front of the landscape in front of them for what it is are A, the type of artist I want to work with and B, the ones that are going to be hugely successful. And just one client I work with who like, I have to mention at this point who is real, who just sees it with such clarity is uh, Paul Barrow from Death Groups. You know, he, he will collaborate with anyone at this point I think who would be willing just to sit in a room and write with them and record with them over you know two three days he's he's got a song coming out in I think it's just in a couple of weeks now with um, Strange Bones which... I was, I was going to say I've been doing some work I'm, I'm in fairly regular contact with Bobby and he is one of those okay. people who's like he's so, he's so kind of the, the cogs are always whirring in, in his head and he's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm yeah. not in, I'm not in metal. I am in metal, but I'm not only in metal. I'm also in, and I'm doing everything and I want to be involved in everything and I want to be working with everybody and I want to be creative and collaborative. Mm. And the crazy thing is, you know, he met, you know, Death Blooms and Strange Bones met on the Trash Boat tour at the tail end of last year, which, I mean, anyone who knows Trash Boat and Death Blooms both, are two bands I think a few years ago you would not have seen in a bill together. So again, for Trash Boat, I think it was a great shout to have Death Blooms on the tour. It gave mm-hmm. the tour a different dimension. All the kids that were there listened to that type of music anyway. You know, and then, you know, you have bands like Wargasm at the minute, who we also had Death Blooms out with, who are completely different from Trash Boat, but again, are kind of transcending genres. Yeah. And I think, you know, the bands that see that it's not, you know, there is a place just to be. I mean, Death Blooms are all out metal, really, but I think no. But there's there's some there's interesting creative stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go to a Death Bloom show right now, the audience ranges from you know kids who are under eighteen right through to grown men who are in their forties, you know, and you know, all wearing different types of t-shirts from different artists and different genres. Like it really is a it's it's crazy the, the diversity in an audience that go to one of Death Bloom's shows. Well, and I think that's the uh, that's the sweet spot. This personal journey that you're going on when you are writing a song doesn't make it any less personal if you bring in other people. It means that you're going on that journey with other people, like-minded individuals that might take you to wonderful places that you never would have gone to. Well, it's pushing you as an artist, right? I I guess that's the point I was trying to get to. As an, I mean, it's in everything that I do, I want to be pushed at it, right? You know, you want to be challenged. It's what makes what you're doing interesting. It's what kind of, certainly what gets me out of bed in the morning is mm-hmm. knowing that you know I'm, I'm i'm pushing myself in my work as an artist surely 
the goal is is to be pushed into uncomfortable situations that, that, that kind of bring out the best in your songwriting. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the, uh, I think I think that's where where the live industry's heading. You know, I think there's, um, I, I don't think there's any boxes that you can put the next generation of uh, gig goers in, you know, because mm-hmm. there's just, they're consuming music completely differently. And I think, um, I, I think the likes of your download festivals and your, your rock metal festivals are starting to see that. I think the diversity question is a, a really important one. You know, I think, I, I think festivals and agencies in general have a hard, I think festivals, bookers more so have a hard time you can only book what's there. there. You can only book what's there, and I think that's uh, that's certainly something we we take very seriously at the agency. You know, the, the roster we've inherited from the old company we worked in. We, we do have a very a heavily weighted kind of male dominated roster at the minute. It's something we're aware of, and it's something that we're actively putting in. You know, checks and bounds to kind of bring us to a fifty fifty level. You know, I, I think any agency that's not doing that at the minute is probably going to have a hard time somewhere down the line because mm-hmm. the industry is moving in that direction as well you know there's i think there is there's there's now uh there's now a kind of uh there's that kind of um undercurrent going on at the minute where if you're not going to change there will be another festival that will come along which will kind of nudge you out of the way yeah and i think the likes of your red and leeds festivals for example are, are starting to see that and are starting to try and make that change I know they've got a long way to go, but I think you've got to give them time to get there because if people don't buy tickets and these things don't happen, you know, well, yeah. that, that is uh, the simple reality of but the situation. There's, there's, there's that. There's, you know, it's this. I, I've been watching a few things recently about, you know, just looking at how many bands can or how many acts can headline festivals, and we're kind <clears> of <throat> at that tipping point where a certain a certain level of artist needs to be given the opportunity to headline festivals so yeah. that it's not the same 25 bands that are just mm. on this kind of this this um constant loop so to speak. well i think that's more of an issue with um i know we keep we keep kind of moving back into the alternative space but i think reading and leeds is a perfect example you know i think they have halsey headlining this year the, you can have a pop artist grow a, an unbelievable rate almost overnight these days and be able to go into a Red and Leeds festival and headline. And Billie Eilish, perfect example, mm-hmm. headline in Glastonbury. I think she's 21 at the minute, which is just ridiculous. But rock metal seems to have a, an issue of, you know, how do we, how do we replace Iron Maiden, Metallica, you know, Kiss, and bring in those kind of next generation headliners. And I think for me, the answer is it doesn't happen until until it just happens, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they've, they've done it with Biffy. Biffy are now, I think it's the second time they've headlined Download Festival this year. And uh, the first time they got a hard time, I remember when they sub-headlined with Metallica, they got a hard time bringing a band who were seen as, you know, maybe not, maybe not... Um, not quite, I don't know, not quite in the the wheelhouse of counter culture. You know, they were on Radio 1. It, it was ridiculous. Well, I was going to say, they weren't right for the bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think we've got to, uh, 
I think we've got to get rid of that mentality. Mm. But you know, there's bands out there who I think absolutely should be kind of. I'm not saying you you could have a full festival without your big hitters like your Aerosmiths, your Metallicas, but why are architects at this precise moment in time not being given an opportunity to headline a stage? I was going to say, and, and bring me the horizon, as you know, there are bu- the there horizon. are a bunch of bands out there that should be headlining in front of certain bands, and that's, that's it's it's about giving people the opportunity because if you don't give anybody the opportunity then there isn't going to be any there. exactly um is that how many of you is it just the two of you at Etchell, or is there a bigger team no so we have five agents at the minute so there's myself and stephen moss who is uh who's my business partner we're the two owners of the company he tends to book all of these so i, I have a i have a rule where if if it's a metal band that wouldn't that would sound out of place on BBC Radio One, I tend to pass it on to Stephen, who works a lot more of the obscure stuff. He okay. runs uh, he runs Incineration Festival in Camden, which is like one of the kind of premier black death metal nice. festival. So that's that that's his that's his. <laughs> that's his. Like, I just if it crosses a certain <laughs> threshold of like maybe two metal, it, it, it's his thing. You know, we have uh, Tyler Hodges, who's a, a great agent in the uh, kind of the doom stoner world. He's he's the agent for Green Lung, who are just absolutely blowing up at the minute. You mm-hmm. know, a great great band, um, selling out every show they play at the minute. They're going out with Clutch at the end of the year nice you know we're already confirming multiple festivals for them for 2023 it's just all going a million miles a minute for them at the minute and then we have uh julia who i think julia is one of the uh, has one of the most impressive a and r years i've seen in an agent for quite some time she lives in brighton and just seems to have like a, an ear for the bands that are going to pop in that kind of that kind of quirky pop world that just mm-hmm. seems to there seems to be something in the water there right i don't know what it is but it's uh it's crazy and then my brother chris who um who i did he did work with the last company i worked for and um took some time off and then we when we launched our own business decided now is the time to kind of get back involved on a on a, on a um Basically, just because he knew you were, or he at least thought you couldn't get yelled at by the boss because his boss was his brother. But um, <laughs> he's he tends to just he picks up just whatever he likes. You know, mm-hmm. he's a bit like me in that sense. So we, I think within the agency we have we have an agent that really kind of fits all everything all that you need, parts, it, yeah. all genres, and that that was really the the main reason I wanted to start my own agency was you know I. I I joined RRV Global, the last company I worked for, in 2017 and left in October 2019. And there was never really an opportunity, I think, to shape the business the way that... To be the kind of agency that I wanted to work for because it already had its image crafted before I joined, right? So being able to start from scratch and build a roster that is truly kind of reflective of the kind of company I want to mm-hmm. be a part of, never mind run. Yeah, yeah. It was like hugely important for me. So we have clients doing great things, you know, in the rock metal space, which we've I think we've focused on more than anything in this chat. But then, you know, I, I work with some great kind of rock indie bands. You know, I work with a band from Liverpool called Bandit at the minute, who are mm-hmm. just 
one of those artists again that I, I discovered on Spotify a playlist somewhere and thought this is insanely good I have to work with them and you know we've got some exciting things uh, lined up for them in the future you know cool. I work with some synthwave acts that are some that are predominantly DJs you know we've got some hip hop on there some pop so we're really not kind of cornering cornering ourselves in any market and mm-hmm. um, we've got we've still got work to do to kind of uh, bring ourselves into to, to be have the, exactly the kind of roster I imagine having you know, we still have a lot of rock metal on there I'd like to be bringing in more away from that space to kind of balance it out a bit. Okay. But uh, it's. Uh, have you it's got a very... certain? Have you got a certain size of roster that you're aiming for? Because you've got around about a hundred acts. We've got around about a hundred between between the five of us. And um, what's a, what's a, what's, like... what's a sweet spot for each of you to to be able to work? I think um, so. In my roster, I think I'm I'm on about. About thirty of the artists are on my roster, right? And uh, because I, <clears throat> this is just um, you know I've a, I spent a long time building a roster which came over with me from the last company as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd want to go much heavier than that without any more support. You know, um, at the minute we don't have uh, we don't have a huge wealth of kind of uh, support staff underneath us, so you've got to be very careful. You don't overstretch but um there's no real there's no limit that we have written down anywhere okay. i think if you can and the, the thing is with this job as well is that some artists are more active than others right mm-hmm. you know i talk to some managers and some of my artists every single day without fail and then some other artists are kind of at the other end of their career you know for example you know, jeff scott soto or bumblefoot for example who are not actively looking to tour, but if the right opportunity comes up, they'll they'll come over for it. Yeah, yeah. So some artists are touring heavily, others are not touring so heavily. So it all balances out, and that's the real balance in that, right? You've also got the fact that some artists are going to be out of album cycles, and some that are going to be really in the throes of their album cycle. And if you have a roster of artists who are all in the same cycle, then you're going to have a very quiet year next year. And then a so very it's, it's busy, find, the, and the, yeah. <laughs> so it's finding that balancing act, and um, and and I think importantly uh, as an agent is like knowing knowing when it's working and when it's not working. You know, I I, I know there's some agents out there who never who never drop clients, but I think that's wrong. I would hate to be an agent who had an artist on my roster that I didn't feel was getting the best the best service from us. Mm-hmm. And I tend to try not hang on to artists longer than I think, you know, I'm I'm doing the best work for them. So okay. I think it's also knowing when's the right time to part ways for a client. And probably the same can be said the other way, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 definitely a, you know, it would be lovely that everybody found that business partner or that company that you work with and then you stay there forever and ever and ever. But it, it's not a bad thing to part ways as long as it's done in the right way yeah and i think um <clears throat> i think some artists you know do stay with us i mean i've worked with some artists who i've had since day one who who were very active when we first started working together and now no longer all that active and you know they're they're happy with their lot you know mm-hmm. they, they know they're they know they've hit a ceiling yeah and you know they've got no reason to there's no reason to look elsewhere at that point. We, we, we both know what we're expecting from each other, which I think is the most 
important part of this job is understand being on the same page you know and yeah. both going for the same things and communicating that effectively i think um there are some artists on there who aren't touring heavily maybe but they're not going to tour unless they find the right opportunity mm-hmm. so yes the hundreds artists 100 or so artists on that roster but i think when you pick through them you realize some of those are incredibly active and some of them you probably haven't seen tour for quite some time because mm-hmm. they're just they just want to they just want to play at the right time and if that doesn't happen then It would be remiss of me to not ask you the question that I'm sure you get asked the most by bands, managers. What do you look for in in artists when you've kind of got your A and R? I'm looking looking to sign stuff hat on, and those monumental number of artists out there in any genre who are obviously looking to play live more. What should they be doing in order to get onto the the radar of of agents like yourself? Well, I think we touched on a couple already. I mean, the the this, the answer you're always going to get, I think, from any any agent and anyone working in the music industry general, quality of music, right? So, if the songs aren't there, then it's going to be very difficult for anyone to do a job for you, and that's me included, as well as you know people like yourself. On top of that, live, do they have, you know, how you feel when you're watching them live? You know, I, I think anytime I see a band and I have like a holy fuck moment, which is like, Jesus, like, what are we watching here? This is mm-hmm. incredible. Then I, I'm just naturally going to want to work with that band. <laughs> it's just that if I see a band that I think are incredible, they I'm going to want to work with them. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in terms of like what what you, I think some bands want to kind of look at bringing in an agent and a manager to some extent as just this this thing they have to do. So like if I get A and B, C will follow. Yeah. And I don't think that's how it is. I think what I'm looking for in an artist in terms of away from the music side of things is do they have the right kind of work ethic behind the band? You know, I'm 100% with you on that one. When, when, when I come on board, if it feels like, you know, I'm the one that cares the most, then there's a fucking problem there, you know, (laughs) and that's something you'll be, you'll be amazed to hear that happens. It happens more than you would think, mm-hmm. you know. But I think a lot of bands get a team on board, and then they kind of think, "Well, the team will do it for me." I think that's that's a kiss of death for a band because mm-hmm. that's when uh, that's when you start pointing at other people and saying, "You know, why is this not happening? Why is that not happening?" When really, you know, an agent is part of a team, the same yeah. way a manager is part of a team, and the band does form a fairly crucial part of that team, being the one that's you know really creating the product. But I think work ethic, quality of music, and I think in terms of what a band should be doing to get noticed by an agent is, I think just get out there and play shows. You know, every everywhere, everywhere a band starts has a local club. Mm-hmm. That are always, especially right now when the market is 
if anything, oversaturate the live music since the pandemic. You can't have enough local bands at the minute to put on live shows. You know, I have promoters I work with in Birmingham and London, Glasgow, who are always looking for new bands that have kind of started up locally because they don't have the pool of talent to kind of add to a lineup. So the, I, I think it's if you're if you have the appetite to go and play live music, you'll mm-hmm. you'll find a way, right? Where it's not an agent's job to just come in and book you, you know, fifteen shows in your hometown. This is something you really need to be doing yourself. Yeah, yeah. And if you do that, you'll then meet more people in bands. You'll you may meet their tour manager. You may meet their manager at a show if you're at the right show. From making those connections, you're then going to get opportunities in other cities. You know, if you meet a band and let's say you start off in Birmingham and they're London based and you really get on well with that band, you may be offered a sports lot in London. It may mm-hmm. be your first show in the capital, which may put you in front of someone like me. So I can't stress enough how important it is to get out, play shows, and when you're doing that, network. I think you've, a lot of bands don't understand that an agent and a manager and a label can only do so much. Ultimately, bands will decide, for example, who goes out and tour with them. Yeah. So why aren't more bands making an extra effort to connect with as many peers as possible? I think that's another very, very important step that mm-hmm. a lot of bands are missing at the minute. So yeah, to, to sum up... To summarise the answer without rambling too much, quality of music, quality live band, do they have the work ethic, which I think without the work ethic, it's just never going to happen for you anyway. Yeah. And uh, get out there. Are, get out there. Just yeah. get out there and play. And it's how you get better as a band as well. What, what tours, what should we be looking out for for the rest of this year? You mentioned a few bands that already, but are there some maybe that are that little bit lesser known that people should be flocking towards because you think they're absolutely fucking awesome? Yeah, well, we, I mentioned the band um, Bandit, who are going to be going out in tour before the end of the year. Um, we should be that that will be a will be announced fairly shortly. I'm pretty sure I can say that without losing my job. <laughs> um, Cold Years, another band I work with right now. They're out on tour with Laura Jane Grace uh, from Against Me in Europe at the minute. <clears throat> there will be more coming from them later on this year, including some UK shows. If you have not seen this band live yet, you absolutely have to do it. I, I think the best way of describing them would be if the Gaslight Anthem and American Idiot era Green Day kind of had a baby, this would be this would be the product. Cool. So, um, as everything unfolds at the moment, also in Europe, you know, they've just done Grass Pop, they're doing Full Force this weekend. Smashing it at the moment. They, yeah. they download. There's going to be more coming from them at the tail end of this year. Death Looms, another one. You know, I think Death between Death Looms and As Everything Unfolds, two of the most exciting metal bands that came out the pandemic swinging. Mm-hmm. One that I just recently picked up and had play on one of the side stages of download this year, Lake Malice. Yep. Incredible band. If you've if you've not checked them out, check them out. I could go on forever with you know, <laughs> things that go on. You, know, you had you had Lake Malice on the Death Blooms tour recently, didn't you? Yes, it yeah. was their first ever shows. 
you know, they, cool. they start, they're another band who started up during the pandemic and, uh, you know, just, they, they were just a perfect band for that tour. Yeah, they're, they're one of those bands uh, that, that I've kind of, I've found on one of my Spotify deep dives and gone, I like this, this is good. So, yeah, yeah, oh, they're just, and there's, there's more to come from them as well. You know, they're just, they're going to have a very busy year, I think. And uh, yeah, they've not even released as much as an EP yet. They've, they've released three songs. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, very early days for them, but they're absolutely smashing it right now. So, cool. Yeah, lo lots going on. And uh, right now, kind of already starting to look at early 2023. And, you know, as far as summer festivals in 2023, on oh, some instances booking into kind of late twenty twenty three. It's just it's all yeah. it's all happening now. So nice one. Yeah. Cool Lip, thank you so much for the chat today. It's been awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Massive thanks there to Liam for having this conversation with me. Really appreciate it. It was an awesome conversation. We could have chatted for hours and hours and hours. Hopefully next time I'm, I'm down in London, um, I'll get to have a beer with Liam. Um, if you would like to know more about them, go to their website. That's echelontalent.agency. You can also find them on Instagram at echelontalentagency and also on Facebook at echelon talent agency um, also find liam himself on instagram at liam echelon and also find him on twitch at liam echelon as always the music for this year uh, is by bloom pool go to bloom.pool on instagram or bloom slash pool on spotify also check out his moonlight sessions playlist that he curates if you would like to get in touch with me here at the podcast or via my company, DC Music Publishing, please go to dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Find me on Instagram at DC Music Publishing or find me on Twitter at Danny Champion and find me on Facebook at DC Music Business. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, I've got a few more left this year please do come back and listen. Please do tell those that you know who might be interested in this little podcast uh, that it exists. If you get the opportunity to uh, rate and review the podcast, that would be really, really helpful as well. Thank you very much and I'll speak to you next time.